You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. Well, amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that, Lord, as that song says, that you split open, you break apart, you make a way where there seems to be no way. Dear Lord, just as you parted the Red Sea, just as you would later pardon the Jordan River, just as you would quiet the sea with just the sound of your voice, we thank you, dear Lord, that you love us. We pray, dear Lord, for the power of your Holy Spirit as you have anointed this worship that you will anoint your word. Speak to us, Lord, and may we be attentive to what you may be saying to us. Lord, I ask you, dear Lord, I've already been on my face, but I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me and let me be that tool in your hand. Just as Doug was talking about that bow that... um, that God is making us into. May I, dear Lord, be an instrument, a tool in your hand today by which you can speak to your people. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 29. We've been going through a series called Beginnings. Um, Genesis chapter 29. In a moment, we'll kind of pick up and we'll begin to look at that passage there. When I was a missionary in Zimbabwe, uh, a lot of times we would go out into the villages, we would talk to people, we would converse, and I'll never forget, I can still see it in my, in my eyes, in my mind's eyes, going to this village, and usually when you went to a village, in fact, a few, weeks, uh, a few months ago when our team went, we went to a brand new village that the pastors had not even gone to. And before long, they took us to the, to the chief because they wanted us to meet him. He was kind of the leader of that group of people. But I remember going to this village when we were living there. And when I came to this, the home of the chief, there were two women that were sitting at the entrance to the, to the hut there, the kind of the main hut, the focal point of that of that little village community. And and and, and let me tell you, I, I know on the website you can't see me, but man, these were two women. One was kind of looking this way, one was looking this way. They had their lips poked out and man, they looked angry. Now you have to understand in the Shona culture among these people, usually when you walk up to a village, it's go go go. That means knock, knock, knock because they don't have doors. So you want to let them know you're coming. Go, go, go. And, and they'll say, Ma'uya, which means you've come. Pindai, come on in. But there was none of that. And I thought, man, what is the deal? So in a little while, in conversing with the chief, I asked him about his family. I asked about Amaya. And he smiled and said, ah, Baba, ah, Mufundis, which means pastor. He said, Dine, um, Vakiri Vatsimai. And when he said that, I kind of looked and kind of took a, you know, kind of stepped back a little because I'd never encountered that before. And what he was saying was, I have two, what do you want to guess it? Wives. 
Now, uh, let me tell you, I, I've never been in a situation like that. In fact, I went back to a church plant in Unido of Chitanguiza, and when I went back to preach, I used that as an illustration, and I brought up that illustration, and, and I was speaking to predominantly African, Amer- I mean, African women, and as I was talking to them, I asked them, how would you handle that situation? And some of those women began to look at me, and I mean immediately all of them looked angry. It was as if I had thrown ice-cold water on them. They looked at me and they said, Budai, Budai. Now, Budai means get out of here, go away. And what they were saying is if their husband tried to bring home a second wife, they would say, Budai, Budai, get out of here, go away. Well, today we're looking at a man by the name of Jacob, and Jacob has a problem. The Oak Ridge Boys used to sing a song called, Trying to Love Two Women is Tearing Me Apart. In fact, a moment ago, we were sitting there with the praise team, and Andy pulled that song up on YouTube, and so we listened to it for a moment. It didn't really prime our pump to get ready for worship, but we kind of laughed about it. Now, we've been looking at this man by the name of Jacob. Jacob, you remember, Rebekah had deceived Isaac. Jacob had been in on the plan, and they had deceived Isaac of the blessing. They had stolen the blessing from Esau, the elder. And you remember they came to that point that Rebekah began to hear Esau. He was kind of simmering and he was angry. And he said, as soon as I get a chance, I'm going to kill my brother. And so ultimately, Rebekah says, listen, you've got to flee. You've got to get out of here. And she sends him back to her family. Her and Isaac send him back to, to, to her family and to her brother who's named Laban. Now Laban, as we said, is a used camel dealer. If you could kind of picture a guy with a cigar and, and a quick line, that was Laban. And we basically said this, that God was in the process of now breaking Jacob. His name meant deceiver, liar, trickster, underhanded. And, and so here he goes back to, uh, to his uncle Laban. And before long, he says to Laban, he says, Look, I, I like your younger daughter. She is fine. <laughs> And I've uh, been noticing her around the well. She's beautiful. She's got a beautiful body. And, and listen, I would like to work for your youngest daughter. And, and so Laban that brings, gets his cigar out and he says, well, son, come into the finance office here. And, and he begins to work out an 84-month payment plan, seven years, in order for Jacob to get Rachel, who he's in love with. He's just infatuated. In fact, the Bible says this. It says that he was just, it literally seven years just passed as if they were not anything. Well, the big day came, ceremony came, man, they were all excited and they began to drink a little wine, they began to get a little intoxicated and before long, Jacob stumbles into that tent and then Laban, he makes a switch here, he switches his older daughter, Leah, who has weak eyes and not a very good body, he kind of he switches them out and, and here's Jacob, it's dark, he's a little intoxicated and he ends up consummating that marriage Entering into that marriage with the wrong woman. <laughs> he wakes up the next morning. 
he reaches for a Starbucks coffee, checks his messages on his iPhone, and all of a sudden he takes a look at his wife in the morning, no makeup, no, I mean nothing, and man, oh, he screams at the top of his lungs, grabs the linen cloth, runs down, he grabs his blanket, runs down to his, to his father-in-law's tent, and he says, what have you done to me? You have deceived me. We said in Genesis 29, 26, God's first blow, God begins to break Jacob. Let's stand. Look at that. Genesis 29, 26. When morning came, well, let's go back. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife, verse 21 of Genesis 29. My wife, my time is completed. I want to lie with her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place. He gave a feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah, gave her to Jacob. Jacob lay with her and Laban gave his servant, servant girl Zilpah to his daughter as her hand maidservant. Verse 25, when morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Now look at verse 26. Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. And my friend, everybody look this way. When he said that, immediately Jacob went back to that tent, that moment, when he lied to his old blind dad and his old blind father, who was about to give the blessing, said, Who is it? And Jacob said, My name is what? You want to finish it? Esau. He lied and deceived his father. Now it's all coming back around because what goes around, what? Comes around. That's, that's really a biblical thing. And, and so what goes around comes around. Now, picking up at verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. Leah became pregnant. She gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben, for she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery. Surely my husband will love me now. This is an agricultural environment, society. Sons were at a high premium. Verse 33, she conceived again when she gave birth to a son. She said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Again, she conceived and when she gave birth to a son, she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I born him three sons. So he, she, he named, his name was Levi. She conceived again when she gave birth to a son. She said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah. Then she stopped having children. Now look at verse chapter 30, verse 1. And when Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, now everybody look this way. Give me, give me a child. You ever seen a kid throw a fit? She said, give me children or I'll die. Verse 2, Jacob became angry with her and said, Am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Verse 3, then she said, Here's Bilhah, my maid servant, sleep with her so that you can bear children for me and that through her I too can build a family. Wow. Here we go again. <laughs> Let's pray. We'll need it. Lord, may you anoint the preaching of your word. 
We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can be seated. God is chipping away in Jacob's life, life, things that don't look like Jesus. Doug was talking about that this morning. He was talking about a bow maker. And I want to encourage you to be here at 9 o'clock because it was tremendous. Reminding us that God is in the process of making us a tool in His hand which He can use for His glory. So here you have Jacob. Jacob is in the, he's in the company of his uncle Laban. Now he is in the process. Remember, he's worked 84 months, seven years for Rachel. Now he's been deceived. There's been a switch. Now he goes back to the finance tent. He makes another 84 month, enters into another 84 month contract in order to get Leah. That he, I mean, and he gets Re- Leah and then he gets Rachel and he really didn't even want Leah. So he's frustrated, he's irritated. But I've said this, the mighty blow of God, his chisel is chipping away Jacob for Jesus. You remember we said last week, Jacob is now in the school of hard knocks. This is orientation. God is getting ready to break Jacob and make Jacob into the tool that God's going to use. Ultimately, his name will be changed from Jacob to Israel. I remember when Amy was going into dental school and they had what they called the white coat um, banquet where they gave them their white coat. Here's prospective future dentist. And the president of the dental school looked at these students and he said, now let me have your attention. He said, you are used to being the top student in your class and in your school. You are the academically gifted. You are the 1% academically in the institutions that you've come out of. He said, but not here. He said, you're in about 1% of the 1% across America today. He said, now you're in a different school. Among these peers, you may not be as brilliant as you think you are. Wow. God brought Jacob to Uncle Laban because God wanted to break Laban and he put Laban, I mean, he puts Jacob in an environment where Jacob is confronted with himself. Tom Landry said this. He was talking to a Heisman Trophy winner. And he said to this Heisman Trophy winner who had come to play for the Cowboys, he brought him into the office. He said, look, man. He said, look, guy. He said, listen, I know you've been great in college. I know you were a big name. I know you were this and that. I know you were a Heisman Trophy winner. But here you are just one more cowboy. And I think that's what Laban was saying. Laban was simply saying to Jacob, Jacob, in this school, in this environment, you're just one more person. Now, I wrote this down because in 26, we said this last week, Laban replied, it's not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. And we basically said this real quickly. Let me review. Number one, God will put us in the company of those who will not tolerate a behavior that others in our life have accepted, tolerated, and excused. Laban says, Laban is a tool in God's hand by which God is going to work in the life of Jacob. 
He is a mirror to who Jacob is. Now, first of all, we got two points here. Number one, lovely, and I'm trying to skip because I'm trying to move a little quicker, so just kind of bear with me. Number one, we have loveless Leah. Let's say that together, loveless Leah. You see, because the Bible tells us here, down in verse 31 of chapter 29, when the Lord saw that Leah was not what? She was not loved. But Leah would become a tool, an instrument in the hand of God by which God's going to do something. Martin Luther said this. He said, Wretched Leah sits sadly in her tent with her maid. She spends her time spinning and weeping. For the rest of the household, and especially Rachel, despises her because she has been scorned by her husband. I even wrote down here in the midst of what Luther was saying, imagine how Leah felt in, in Genesis 29, 25, and 26 when, when Jacob became so upset when he woke up, looked, and realized that it was Leah and then went down to confront his father-in-law. Imagine how Leah felt. Martin Luther goes on to say this. He says, talking about her husband, her husband who prefers Rachel and is desperately in love with Rachel alone. She is not, talking about Leah, she is not beautiful, not pleasing. No, she is odious and hated. There the poor girl sits. No one pays any attention to her. Rachel gives herself airs before her. She does not deign to look at her. Basically, Rachel says, I am the lady of the house and Leah is a slave. Now, when I read that, I thought about how many times do you and I have to play second fiddle? You see, you may say, well, why Leah? What's going on here? Because I believe that Leah longed for love and acceptance. She longed to be loved. She longed to be accepted. She had always been walking in the shadow of her sister, three steps behind her. When her sister walked out into the village, men just sat there as if they were about to lose their, they were about to faint, about to fall out. And here's Leah. She was unloved. She was unaccepted. The Bible says she had weak eyes. And that is the picture in the Hebrew of being a homely, plain woman. And Rachel, the Bible said, had not only a beautiful face, she had a beautiful body. When she walked, she, when she walked through the village, it was like the red carpet of the Academy Award. She didn't walk through the village. She glided through it. And there was whispers. You know what I believe Laban told Leah? Because you think, how could a father... What was Laban thinking? I believe that he loved Leah. And I believe that, let me tell you what he did. He sat Leah down, he said, Leah, <laughs> he said, you ever notice when you say bless their heart, you can get away with anything? He's so stupid, bless his heart. She's just the most homely, ugly thing, but bless her heart. You know, bless her heart, and bless his heart becomes sometimes the cloak for saying something that can be cruel. And I believe that Laban looked at Leah and he said, Leah, bless your heart, it's going to take a miracle to get you a husband. So I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to switch you out with Rachel. 
and we're going we're gonna to deceive and trick Jacob and we're going to get you a man. Wow. Elizabeth Elliot was told, if I remember, Elizabeth Elliot was told that she was homely and probably would never get married. And she was married to one of the greatest missionaries of all time, Jim Elliot, who made the famous statement, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep for that which he cannot lose. Elizabeth Elliot went on to laugh and say, boy, did God give me a husband. Young ladies, I want to tell you something. You wait on God to bring that man into your life. Leah, Leah was, she felt unloved. She felt like nobody cared about her. She thought to herself, well, this is the only way. She was so desperate to be loved by her father and by a man that she was willing to compromise and do whatever she had to do. I wrote this down. If a man will love his wife with an abandonment, just as he loves his Lord, he will find his wife will probably reciprocate that love to him. You know, I'm going to get off on it. I'm really struggling this morning because I'm trying to race through and then I'm also trying to get to something that I need to say. This past week, I had a friend of mine who is a Sunday school teacher. He's like, a, he's like the associate pastor in this church. He teaches a large Sunday school class that makes up a good percentage of the, of the class as he was teaching, he began to talk about the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. At a certain point, he noticed that the Sunday school class, many in that Sunday school class, began to drop their heads. And he knew immediately that a lot of them had gone to see this movie. He said afterwards, a woman came up to his wife, who kind of co-teaches a little bit with him, and made this statement. She said, I enjoyed that. And I don't feel no guilt at all. You see, I think today that we're living in a day of just unbridled sex. We have come through the sexual revolution, and I mean, man, listen, anything goes today. People are looking at things and watching things that normally should not be looked at. In fact, ladies, I wrote this down. I want you to listen to this. When you are in mixed company where there is sexual subjects, indecency, an ungodly man, men, it will feed a man's appetite. A movie such as Fifty Shades of Grey is not the place for you to be. Men viewing sexual situations with you in their company will be further stimulus for them to go down that path. Pastor was teaching his women and teaching the women in his church and talking to them about how important it is to be careful how they hug. We're living in a day like we've never lived in before. Jacob is in an environment where sex and deceit and trickery and the family is just absolutely in chaos. Women are swapped around as if they're nothing. Things are done under the excuse of simply saying, this is what we're going to have to do to fulfill the will of God. Wow. Well, you've got, you've got Leah, then you've got Rachel. Look at Rachel. Look at Genesis 31 through 8. 
When Rachel saw that she was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. So she said to Jacob, get, get Jacob, give me children or I'll die. Jacob became angry with her. He said, am I in the place of God who has kept you from having children? Then she said, now you're watching, look there. Look at verse 3. Here is Bilhah as a wife. Here is Bilhah, my maidservant. Sleep with her so that she can bear children for me and that through her I too can have a family. Listen to what James Montgomery Boyce said about that. He said, we do not want to read too much into this passage, but since we are told that Rachel was jealous of her less attractive sister, we are no doubt right in thinking of her as more that, listen to this, of a bit spoiled and thus resentful of God if everything did not go precisely her way. Let me ask you a question. Who does Rachel sound like here? Sarah. You remember Sarah? We, we looked at Sarah and Abraham and God said to Abraham, He said, Abraham, He said, through you I'm going to make the lineage, the messianic line, and your, and your descendants will be like the stars in heaven. But do you remember? There came that point, 100 years old. Man, it's getting, it's getting tough. Physical possibility of childbirth and bearing children is literally an impossibility. And so Sarah answers her own prayer and she basically says to Abraham, Abraham, listen, you're getting older, I'm getting older. Undoubtedly, we've misunderstood God. She's taking the spiritual leadership here. She says, I tell you what, Abraham, you sleep with my servant who? Hagar. Perhaps through Hagar, God will reveal and God will... Plan out his will. You know, I thought to myself, I thought to myself, where was reason here? Here you have, here you have Rachel, she's barren, she's unwilling to wait on God, her desire drives her to desperation. And she says, listen, here's Bilhah, here's my servant. Maybe we can fulfill, maybe we can have a family, maybe I can have children through her. Now listen closely. Jacob knew the lessons of history. He knew the stories of Abraham and Hagar. He knew Uncle Ishmael. He knew the heartache, the pain, the hurt, the jealousy, the division. He knew all of those things. Now listen, I wrote this down, yet he failed to step up and be the spiritual leader. He failed to be that moral and ethical policeman in his family and in his home. And the outcome of it is, is we have continued brokenness, separation, and heartache into the family. Bilhah is like Hagar. We've said this over and over again. The problem in your life and in my life is when we begin to do what? When we begin to answer our own prayers. I believe this about Rachel. Even when you look at chapter 30 verse 1, I believe that Rachel was spoiled I think that Rachel was used to getting her own way. I believe that literally that Laban and Rachel's mother, I believe they kind of doted over Rachel. Maybe Rachel felt a little bit more privileged or whatever it was. 
But I want you to see something here. Look at Genesis 36. Flip over to Genesis 36, 22. Because I want you to see something here. I want you to see what, what happens. And I, I'm in the wrong place. Wow, man, it's unbelievable today how hard it is to preach. This is unbelievable. Hmm. And it is so important that I have to find it even if it takes me a minute. Goodness, Reggie, help me out here. I'll tell you what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the relationship that will develop between Bill Ha and Reuben. Do you know where that's at? What? 3522. Okay, thank you. You know, there's spiritual warfare today, and it's strange to me. I think because I was going to dwell on this thing of Fifty Shades of Grey and get on that, and I think it's kind of thrown me off. So that's all right. In Genesis thirty-five twenty-two, because basically what I'm saying, and I, and I feel like I'm spiritually battling today. I'm sweating. I'm soaking wet. You may not see it, but I am. I'm soaking wet because I'm sweating and I'm struggling. So, you know, be honest with you, that's where I'm at. Now, let me tell you why. I believe the enemy's doing everything he can to get into the way what you need to hear. So let me just stop here and make it very clear. And I want you to hear me, and I especially want young families to listen to me because we're battling the enemy in this message. Rachel, in essence, is desperate. She'll do whatever she can in order to have children. So what she does, she makes the same mistake that Sarah makes. She takes her servant, Bilhah, she compromises and brings Bilhah into the relationship in order that she can have children because she said this, if I can't have children, I'm going to die. It's causing division between her and Jacob. And so finally in desperation, Jacob agrees. And he sleeps with Bilhah. Now I want, you to, I want you to listen to me closely. Before long, Leah gets upset and she says, Hey, wait a minute, two can play that game. You bring Bilhah into the relationship. Hey, you know what the writer of Hebrews says? He says the marriage bed is to be kept undefiled. You know what that means? It's to be kept pure and holy. But let me tell you what's happening to a lot of people. A lot of people today, a lot of men and women are getting caught up into pornography. We are living in a day when anything goes when it comes to sexuality. Nothing embarrasses us anymore. I was watching the Today Show and they were talking about Sex Box, a new reality show where it's just getting more and more blatant and in your face. Pornography today, whether it's on the phone, whether it's on a computer, it is absolutely everywhere. It is a multi-billion dollar industry and it is unbelievable in this country. What Rachel, says to, what Rachel says to Jacob is, Jacob, listen, I've worked this out. I'm going to bring Bilhah and I'm going to take care of this need. And she compromises her purity and she compromises the scripture. And my friend, at that point, they pay a great sacrifice. Sin always cost. You see it? Look at Genesis 35, 22. In Genesis 35, 22, while Israel was living in that region, that's Jacob. 
while Jacob, Israel was living in that region? Do you see it? Say amen. Reuben went in and slept with his father's concubine who? Bilhah and Israel or Jacob heard about it. Now I want you to go all the way to the end, Genesis 49. We're going to beat the enemy yet. Genesis 49, looking at verses 1 through 4. Now Jacob called for him. Have you ever had God say something to you that you could remember the exact moment? I was in my living room alone in the house. And I was reading this passage. Then Jacob called for his sons and said, Gather around me so that I can tell you what will happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, sons of Jacob. Listen to your father Israel. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, the first sign of my strength, excelling in honor, excelling in power, turbulent as the waters. You will no longer excel, for you went up unto your what? Father's bed unto my couch and did what? Defiled it. Listen to this, listen, parent. Because we're in a spiritual warfare, not only in this nation, but right now in this church. Your enemy has literally pulled down all the props. And he is aggressively going after you in the area of sexuality. And he's going after your kids. And listen to your pastor, and he ain't playing fair. I wrote these down, listen to them. Number one, Jacob compromised the covenant convictions, the Abrahamic covenant, when he agreed to the relationship of Bilhah and Zilpah, when he brought two maidservants and, used, and began to use them to propagate. Verse number two, he went against the lessons of the past. Abraham had probably shared many times his failures and his shortcomings, but Jacob was not listening. You know what the grandfather told him? The grandfather, I guarantee Abraham sat, he sat down and looked at Jacob and he said, Jacob, let me tell you, Jacob, whatever you do, don't go down this road. Don't do what I've done. Abraham looked and said, you, he began to tell the story of Hagar. He began to talk about Ishmael. He began to talk about how difficult it was and how much heartache that it brought into the family. Listen, you think, well, that's nothing. We're still living with it today. Who do you think ISIS is? Who do you think the Islamic extremists are? It's just my sin. It's a little private area. Nobody knows. My friend, God knows. Number three, Jacob lived with a measure of sin in his life. Let me ask you something. What did Abraham do with Hagar? What did he do? He sent her away. When he sent her away, I believe it was painful. I believe it was gut-wrenching. I believe it was costly, but it was necessary. Now listen, please listen, parent. 
Because I'm telling you, we're in the middle. The enemy doesn't want you to hear these statements. If you and I live with a measure of sin in our lives, if we compromise, if we excuse, if we explain it away as just simply this is the way I am, my dad was this way or my mom was this way, uh, they had a temper, they had a drinking problem, they had a woman problem, then listen, it will repeat itself over and over and over and over and over and over and over when you're dead and gone and your body is rotted. It'll be continually over and over. I wrote this down, young parent, any sin that you refuse to recognize as sin and repent of may result in the destruction of your children or your grandchildren. You may say, well, I can handle that alcohol but you don't know that your son or your daughter can. You may say, well, I can handle that little bit of pharmaceutical or over-the-counter or whatever that drug may be, but you don't know that your son or daughter can. Mom, you may say, well, there's 50 shades of gray and there's nothing wrong with that book and I'm going to get it and I'm going to read it. But you don't know that little bit of soft porn and written form and eventually that video that you own. You don't know whether Hell's Box Office, HBO, Cinemax, Showtime. You don't know if those sons and daughters growing up in your family. I can tell you this much. Let me tell you about your boy, Mom. He can't handle it. Some of you need to go home and in your cable package. You see, the church today and so many of us like Rachel and like Jacob, we've begun to allow compromise to come into our homes. And listen, we're getting used to the dark. Let me tell you why. Because this is a failure of a lot of men to man up and be the spiritual leader in their home. Abraham gave in to Hagar, gave in to Sarah over Hagar. Jacob gave in to Rachel with Bilhah. Wow. Let me ask you something. Have you compromised in the area of some sin in your life that God may be bringing to you right now and saying if you do not repent of it, you are going to sow the wind and you're going to reap the whirlwind. Isaac gave in to Rebekah. Rachel pressured Isaac, I meant Rachel pressured Jacob for a child, even if it meant Bilhah. And I wrote this principle down. When we reach the point of Genesis 30 verse 1 where she throws a fit and she says, I'm desperate and I want it and it doesn't matter what God's will is. When it's not about God's will and it's about jealousy and desire, you've got a problem. You see, the Bible says this, we're to be filled with what? With the Holy Spirit. The word filled means to be under control. Let me tell you, men, one of the most, and ladies, listen to me, one of the most difficult things for a man today to control. He is absolutely living in hell. It doesn't matter walking down the mall. It doesn't matter the dress today. It doesn't matter the things that are happening in the midst of this sexual revolution. Many, many men are losing the joy of their salvation and their wives are oblivious to it and don't even realize it. Sometimes Sheila will look at me as we're watching TV and she'll turn and look at me and says, does that bother you? And I say, you better turn the channel. I'm going to close. 
I've battled all the way through this. Maybe it's not as bad as I thought. A few, maybe in the last couple of weeks, I went to the bathroom, and while I was in the bathroom, when I walked into the bathroom, I slipped. And I thought, what is that? And so I began to, it was oil. And so I, I got paper towels, and I began to, wipe up this oil and I was getting it up because I was thinking, you know, other people are going to come in. And listen, it had been there for several days. And, and so I began to wipe up this oil, clean it up, and then I began to stand around the kitchen, I mean in the bathroom, and I began to say, where, where did that come from? And the sprayer up over the door, the flap had been left down and it was spraying this oil, this fragrance, this sin, Sent down on the floor. Probably sin be a good word for it. Because that's what your enemy does. And that's true. That's what your enemy does. Your enemy's trying to slip you up. So I, I begin to get down there and I was cleaning it up and I was telling Sheila about that. And I could tell that move, Sheila. We were in St. Dominic's. We were sitting in a crowded cafeteria at lunchtime downstairs in St. Dominic's. Sheila said, I said, I believe that's so-and-so there. Sheila said, who? I said, the guy back in there behind those people there up at the grill there waiting to order. And she looked at me and said, you can't even see the person. What do you see? You can't see his face or nothing. I said, I can tell by the little bit of motion that's so-and-so. And all of a sudden, guess what? It was that church member. It was who I thought it was. She looked at me again. She said, that's strange. Did you could pick that up? I said, no, that's not strange. I'm a pastor. And I want you to know something today that though I have messed, maybe messed this message up, there's some things that God is trying to say through this messed up, mixed up message, and it is simply this. Listen, look this way. If you don't hear anything else, nod your head now. Repentance is not tapering off sin. Hebrews 1.9, he loved righteousness, talking about Jesus. And listen to this wording here. And he hated wickedness. You see, when you and I are repentant, we don't taper off sin. We don't slowly give it up. Man, it's all of a sudden, we're filled with God's Holy Spirit and we go walking in and we make those hard choices in our life. We look at the kids and say, listen, we're getting ready to cut off HBO, Cinemax, Showtime. I'm getting ready to cancel Sports Illustrated because I can't handle how far the swimsuit edition's gone. Hey, I may have to change jobs because I can't live with the temptations and the battles that I'm living in. In other words, let me tell you, when you and I are filled with God's Holy Spirit, we declare war on sin. Now listen, not in everybody else's life. Right here. Amen? Repentance is not tapering off. One more thing about 
Fifty Shades of Grey, and then we'll pray. I watched an interview, and I'll be honest with you, it was the Academy Awards. And Melanie Griffith, because I went back and looked at this, Melanie Griffith, the mother of Dakota Johnson, who plays the lead role in Fifty Shades of Grey, was being interviewed. Melanie Griffith, who started dating Don Johnson at 14 years of age, Don Johnson at 22 had already been divorced twice. But Hollywood made this statement of Melanie Griffith. They said, they laughed and said, she sounded like a mama. Because there at the Academy Awards, on that red carpet, here was this starlet with her mother. And they looked at Melanie Griffith, the mother of Dakota Johnson, they said, you must be so proud of her. Have you seen Fifty Shades of Grey? And you could cut the air with a knife. Because all of a sudden, this liberal mom who's literally dating at 14 years of age, who's lived a, 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 probably a, a very unbelievable life in and of her own right, been in all kinds of risque kind of movies, all of a sudden you could just cut the air with a knife and the woman looked at her and said, uh, said you've not seen her in this movie yet? Uh, are you planning on seeing it? She says, no, I don't think so. And all of a sudden you see Melanie Griffith and Dakota Johnson They are literally clashing with one another. And I told you this. Three and a half years ago, if you'd have gone to Whitney Houston and said, Hey, Whitney, wake up. I'm going to show you three and a half years in the future. Your daughter is going to die exactly the way you died. You better repent you better get control of that area of your life and you better get it right before it's too late. Because sin has a habit of just going and going and going and going until the man of God, the woman of God says, no more. Not anymore. Satan, you're not going to get to my kids. You're not going to get to my grandkids. I'm going to stand boldly in the word of God and in prayer. And to get to them, you'll have to get through me. I want you to stand. Since I've um, been struggling, I want to go ahead. I debated on using this illustration. When... um, And I want my I want my kid, my sons, my daughters, and I want my daughter-in-laws that are in this room. I want you to listen to this. My wife was dating at 14. My wife was married at 16. My wife was in an abusive relationship. My wife was literally in a relationship with drugs and all kinds of problems. And many times I've seen her weep and cry in the early years of our marriage. I want you to listen to me. And every man will understand. I wonder what he looked like, Sandy. Sandy's, they've grown up. She grew up with Sheila. I wonder what he looked like. 
And I wondered, Doug, if he had lived, how I would have handled that. Because back then I was a couple hundred pounds and nobody messed with me. Because I'd hear the heartache in her. Sheila was in Texas running from everybody and running from her own parents and in a bad marriage. And he undoubtedly had done something with drug money and he was run down and he was killed. Because let me tell you, when you start running, you run with the devil long enough, he'll finally kill you. But I always wonder what he looked like. His name was Roy. I never say that name. Never. If you got the name Roy, I'll be calling you, hey, you. One day, I found an old wedding picture from her first marriage. And I, I'll never forget, I looked at it, and it was, a, it was a few pictures. And Sandy, I was looking through them. And I was seeing this individual for the first time. He's dead. He was dead. And I'm seeing this, these pictures, thumbing through them. And then all of a sudden I came to this picture. I came to a picture of her dad and he was laughing. And I thought about Don Johnson, Dakota Johnson's dad. Because when they interviewed him, he laughed and said, boy, she's, a, she's just a great actress. He just made light of it. Mom, it was breaking her heart. Melanie Griffith. But I looked at those pictures and I saw my father-in-law and he was laughing. He looked like he was having a good time at the wedding. My father-in-law wasn't walking with the Lord at all. Maybe not even saved. But then I came to my mother-in-law. Now my mother-in-law, we, the, we hadn't been the best of friends. But oh, I loved her in this picture. When I looked at my mother-in-law at my wife's first wedding, she looked absolutely horrible. You said it. Sandy, you know it. Sandy mouthed the words miserable because sweet little Sheila at 16 was getting into a marriage that mom knew was going to bring great heartache. Let me fast forward and take you to her next wedding. She bagged this old boy. No, I'm teasing. Her dad has his arm around her and they're looking at each other and you just see tenderness in him. He's got a big old toothy smile on his face. But the other picture is her mom. As my cousin is taking her back out of the wedding, down, you know, after we groom and the bride leave and then the best men and all of them leave, then finally the mothers are escorted out. And, and Sandy, of course, Sandy, you sang at the wedding, didn't you? Yeah, you did. Uh, she all of a sudden you see my cousin and he's escorting my mother-in-law out and she's just laughing she is literally just glowing and laughing and waving she, they even caught a glimpse of her doing this just laughing and smiling when you and I are married we're the bride of Christ when you and I are living holy and pure lives and when we are in marriage to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, listen to this, heaven smiles. And hey, let me tell you something else. If you don't know Christ and you're not a part of the bride of 
Christ, the church. Let me tell you what happens. When you come into that relationship, do you know what heaven does? You think we had a worship service? You ain't seen nothing yet. Heaven explodes into worship. Man, all of a sudden the angels are coming to their feet because somebody has become a bride of Christ. Let me ask you something. Who are you married to? You married to the devil? You married to sin? You married to uh, our enemy? Are you married to Satan? Diabolos? Accuser of the brethren, the father of lies, the one who comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Are you married to the devil? Are you married to his world system? Or are you married to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Who are you married to today? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, um, Lord, undoubtedly I came to this pulpit with too many notes and Maybe a lot of stuff to say, but Lord, hopefully, dear Lord, you broke it down to what needed to be said. I thank you for the patience of your people and for the kindness by which they've listened to their pastor today, even struggling, even trying to find scripture and racing through and trying to get and figure out where to go. Kind of like Jeffrey sometimes when he just kind of laughs and smiles when the sound system's falling apart or the computer's not working right, PowerPoint seems to go down, he just kind of laughs and says, well, let's figure out what we can do. Lord, I've tried to do that today. And I pray, dear Lord, I pray, dear Lord. Wow, just look this way and let me tell you what the Lord's just telling me. That picture hurt. I didn't want to be married to somebody who had been married before. But I loved her with a passion. I didn't have to tear those pictures up. She tore them up. She threw them away. Because she said, it hurts the man I love and I'm not about to let that happen. Is there some things in your life that you need to go home and tear up and get out of your home, get out of your life, get out of your marriage so that you can be what Doug told us this morning, absolutely surrendered and sold out. In Nairobi, Kenya, with 250 missionaries, from southern and eastern Africa, Rwanda, Burundi, and everywhere else, there came a point under the leadership of Henry Blackaby that missionaries started standing up, seasoned veteran missionaries standing up saying, I've got this in my home, I've got that, I've got this video, I've got this in my home, and I'm going home when I leave here. When I fly back to that country, I'm going into my home and I'm going to clean up and get rid of some things. Are there some pictures? Are there some novels? Are there some movies? Are there some channels? Are there some friendships? Are there some things in your life right now that you don't need to take 
taper off. You need to go home and you need to destroy because you are killing, you are grieving the Holy Spirit. And the word grieve means to make the Holy Spirit weep. I can't get away with sin on my phone and my computer because that man up there, he's got, he knows every password, he knows everything. He holds me accountable as your pastor. What do you need to get rid of? Let's finish this prayer. Lord, may you divinely intervene in our life. And may, dear Lord, we just go through our lives, through our homes, through the things that we put before us. Lord, may we clean our clean up. You said, you said repeatedly, Paul said it at times, purify yourselves. Purify yourselves. And that word simply means that there's some things that we don't need to taper off. We need to just say, God, by the, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I'm going to begin to get victory in these areas. God, help me to go home and clean up. Sit my kids down and say, kids, this is what we're doing. This is the right thing to do. Lord, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you, I pray today, dear Lord, that through, through the simple childlike faith, that they will say, Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me. Be my Savior. Be my Lord right now. I pray, dear Lord, that people will make decisions to become followers of Christ. I pray for others that may need to come. They don't need to come to me. They don't need to come to Reggie or Ledge. They need to just come and bow at this altar and say, Lord, I'm putting everything on this altar. God, give me the strength to let go of some things that are binding and controlling me rather than the Holy Spirit. And God will give you the glory. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.